Hello and welcome back everybody to this week's edition of About to Review. I'm your host, that guy named John, and I'm joined via the Skype machine by a fantasy and sci-fi writer, among many, many other things that he has been involved in. Uh, welcome to the show, Alex Irvine. Thanks for having me, that guy named John. <laughs> no problem. So I say fantasy and sci-fi author, even though there are so many things that you have done and continue to do, one of which being Jeopardy champion. Yeah, yeah that was fun. And uh, not, well, I don't think I, the, the, I don't think any of the SF and fantasy nerd knowledge paid off in, in Jeopardy, but, uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a blast to do. I really enjoyed being able to do that. Um, it was uh, kind of an unexpected thing. You know, you do the online uh, audition and then, uh, and then, when you go down for the in-person kind of cattle call, the regional things that they do, you just sort of, you go through whatever they tell you to do and then you just wait. You never know if they're going to call or not. Really? And uh, Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they tell you at the end of it, they say, okay, you're all eligible uh, for 18 <laughs> months and maybe we'll call. And so I did it twice. And the first time they didn't call. And then I wasn't even going to audition the, the, uh, the next time my wife made me do it. And then, uh, and so I went down, same shtick okay 18 months uh you know maybe we'll call and then that time they did interesting so like so. from that whole process from kind of beginning audition online audition to then actually being on how long was that process sounds like over a couple of years well it was uh i think i think the online audition was in the winter and then i went down no the online audition was in the summer and then the and then the in-person regional thing was in uh the late fall then I went out, I was out there at the end of February, or end of March and beginning of April, and then the show aired in July. The shows, I was on right. two of them. You, yeah, yeah, you were on two of them, so congratulations for being a, a champion on, on Jeopardy. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. That's the funny thing, you win a show, and then for the rest of the day's taping, they call you champ. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's nice to hear. Very cool. <laughs> so, of, among, you know, being a Jeopardy champion and being a sci-fi and fantasy author... The other thing is that you are kind of a prolific writer when it comes to, you know, both DC, which of course we're going to talk to talk about eventually mm -hmm. the massive tome that I have next to me. Good thing I worked out this morning so I can lift it up yeah. the DC Comics Encyclopedia uh, by DK. Uh, thanks again to Christy Sheehan for setting all of this up. Uh, yeah. So we will definitely get to to that massive thing. But Good. One of the first questions I have, have you always been a writer? And kind of when did you realize that you not only wanted to read the sci-fi and fantasy epics, but you wanted to take part and actually contribute? Uh, well, the, uh, I mean, I always read everything. I, <laughs> I would sit there reading the back of the cereal box while I was eating breakfast. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I would just never went anywhere without a book. Um, and... And SF and fantasy was something that was a big part of what I read. But, you know, I read the Hardy Boys. I read all sorts of, you know, boys' adventure stuff. And, I and you know, Judy Bloom and, and everything, you know. Um, and then uh, I didn't really start writing. I guess I wrote a couple of stories when I was in college just because I just, you know, you get the bug. You start thinking, well, you know, I, I like these stories and maybe I want to tell one. And, mm -hmm. um, and then, but then I didn't get serious about it till after college. Um, and um, I, I wrote the first thing I ever wrote all the way through and finished was a play, and it was awful. But I thought writing was fun, and so uh, so I kept doing it. And then you know I started putting stories in the mail, and then eventually people started publishing them, and things went from there. So what like your first thing that you wrote from beginning to end was a play, which is arguably one of the hardest things to do. <laughs> That's probably why it stuck so bad. But uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, <laughs> it um. I was doing a lot of theater, and okay. uh, and so, you know, I guess, I guess uh, you know, like with reading, I was reading books, so I thought, well, I'll try and write a story, um, and so I fooled around with that, and then I was doing a lot of plays, and so I said, well, maybe I'll try and write a play, um, and I mean, this is not counting, you know, poems that you write to impress girls in high school and stuff, which uh, which which I also did. Um, how do, how many ways do I love thee? Let me count the ways. <laughs> those types of things. I tried not to. 
tried not to crib too mercilessly from Shakespeare, but but yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I, I, and I was always interested in writing different kinds of stuff too. Um, you know, I would read a I would read a new writer who I hadn't encountered before and get really interested in in how that writer did things, and so I would hmm. and and so I'd try that. And um, so I've tried never to limit myself to one way of doing things or one way of of storytelling, just because there's uh, there's so many different ways to do it, and I find mm-hmm. them all interesting. So I want to I want to try them all. Nice. Who are some of your kind of original inspirations in the sci-fi fantasy world? Well, um, you know, some of the obvious ones: Tolkien mm-hmm. um, and Ursula Le Guin. I, mm. I read the Earthsea books to pieces when I was a kid, um, and there was uh, yeah. I read um, there's a short story anthology called Dangerous Visions that I I ran into because my parents had it and I read it when I was about eleven and I did not understand most of the stories that were in it. Um, <laughs> right, a little too <laughs> heady kind of for an eleven year old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was something else. But I was what? Oh, wow, um, th- these it, it was just amazing stuff and and. Um, and so then I just went from there. I, I mean, I read, you know, everybody you'd expect, Asimov, Clark, um, mm-hmm. Bradbury, I love Bradbury. Never really connected with Asimov or Heinlein. Um, Which, because you actually wrote a, not a companion piece, but with Asimov, one of your books is kind of in yeah. that Asimov world, right? Yeah, it's in the, it's in the robot universe. That was the, it was the first, uh, first licensed book I ever wrote. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that was a that was a fun thing to do because I, um, when I say I never really connected with Asimov, I guess I'm talking more about Foundation. That, 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 um, gotcha. And I know I know it's I know it's beloved, but uh, but I it just never really did anything for me. And and but the robot books I liked, and so I got a chance to to write one that was uh, related to those. And and uh, and yeah, that was fun. I like doing that. Very cool. Um, so then, with with kind of your your start, you know, by doing the play. And then going into fantasy, because you have done so many genres, and me being a child of the 80s, I learned Mm -hmm. very early a valuable lesson from a movie called Ghostbusters to never cross the streams. And it seems like (laughs) you have constantly crossed streams in really positive ways. So with whether it was a DC project, a Marvel project, a video game project, because you write in so many different genres what are those challenges kind of going between those worlds? Well, there's challenges, but the, uh, but the other part of it is when you, when you constantly are writing in, in different modes and different forms and everything, they, uh, um, keep yourself open because you have to, you have to think of new ways to do things and, and each way of storytelling is, is different. And so you, uh, you kind of recharge your batteries. Like if I'm writing a lot of prose and mm-hmm. then I stop and I write a comic or I work on a game script, um, that flexes a different set of muscles, and and um, and I really like doing that. So, uh, so I, I yeah, crossing the streams is I, I don't know what I'd do if I couldn't. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I, it's uh, it's something because I, I like them all. I like to read comics. I like to play games. I like to watch movies. I like to read books, and so I want to write all those things too. Um, and <laughs> and you have the talent kind of end... to do it, which is also well, you know, it it is one thing to <laughs> to have this idea, like you know. I want to do this. I want to write for comics. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. When you start writing and working with the DCs of the world, the Marvels of the world, like, yeah, that, that is pretty huge. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and, and I, uh, I feel real fortunate to be able to do all this stuff. I, um, because I mean, yeah, it's, uh, if, if I could, if I could travel back in time and tell 12 year old me what I do for a living, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> He wouldn't know what to do with himself. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. Nice. Great. Does do any of the genres kind of speak to you more than another? Because, like you said, I mean, you are a gamer. You do read comics. You do read, you know, sci-fi and fantasy. Which of them kind of pulls at you the most that you want to be the most involved in? Oh, I don't know if I can answer that. I. Uh... You have ten seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I could play the Jeopardy no, theme music if that yeah, is either was, calming or stressful. It would give me 30. Oh. Um, yeah, that's what you get for Final Jeopardy. Nice. That's, a, that's what screwed me up in that second game, actually. I had the right answer originally and talked myself out of it. I don't know. I started off really writing 
prose fiction, and I and I think that's that's in some ways still my first love. Um, actually, in some ways, I mean, if I could if I could only write one thing mm-hmm. for the rest of my life, it'd probably be short stories. Interesting. I, I love writing short stories um, because they uh, they're really hard to get right, but you can get them right. Like you can't get a novel right. A novel <laughs> is big enough that. There's always going to be some flabby bits and some digressions that don't really need to be there, but you love them, so you keep them. And and uh, and the novel is big enough that the reader knows that that's the kind of journey it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, for a short story, the minute a short story gets slack, it's it's over. And and so to write a really good short story is uh, it's a it's a really difficult thing. Um, and I and uh, yeah, I and when you get a short story right look back at it and 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 you know you hold the pages in your hand and you're like yes okay i nailed that one mm-hmm. and and you don't always or for me I, I don't i don't ever get that feeling with uh with a novel that um interesting that, yeah i mean I, I i feel like you know there are some that that i like that are that i think are good i would hope um, so yes <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy with the work i did you know but uh but it's really only with something short that you can look at it and and feel like it is just as good as it could possibly be. Nice. Now, when you would do a short story, would you like to do a short story, just all of them independent or kind of in a greater, you know, kind of a world building type of thing or just all have just independent short stories? I almost never return to a story universe once I've written a story in it. Interesting. Um, okay, nice. Yeah. There's really only one exception. I wrote two short stories that, um, I've never really written any high fantasy stuff, except for a D&D novel that I wrote one time. Which I right, which I definitely writing. want to talk about, uh, because, you know, even though Alex can see me, uh, and there are comics and stuff, paraphernalia all around, um, I also have my fifth edition book around here somewhere, and a multitude of right. character sheets, so we can Pretty get good. into that later. But, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so going back to what you were saying, that, you know, you rarely kind of go back to those worlds. Yeah, but I wrote, uh, I, I decided I... I got this idea that was for it was kind of a high fantasy quest fantasy idea, and so I, I wrote a story in it, and uh, and I like that story, and and um, it was you know it was republished in some best of the year anthologies and stuff, and so apparently other people liked it too. Hashtag and, humble brag, um, as you just kind of well, say that off the. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nice when that happens, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then I kept thinking about that that face, you know, the not just the one character, but um, but everything that was behind the story. And so I, I came back to it once more and wrote another story and then stuck them together and expanded them and turned them into a novella. Now there might be a novel there. But that's, you know, of all the stuff I've ever written, that's really the only time that I've ever had the urge to go back and say, you know, I think there's more there. And and, uh, and I guess I'll dig into it. Now, having said that, that's probably, for, I'll spend the next 10 years like digging back into old stuff and expanding it. But, <laughs> right. um, but as of now, it's the only time it's ever happened. Very cool. So with the with the D and D book that you wrote, that yeah. kind of your only currently your only foray into the the high fantasy genre. So oh. unfortunately, I have not had a chance to to read it. So can you tell me about it? Yeah. Um, although I won't spoil it for you in case you do read it. Yes. Um, it's called it's called the Seal of Cargacool. It's set in the core worlds, which uh, which was the the main world for D and D for a while between. The first time that everything was in the Forgotten Realms, and then the second time everything was in the Forgotten Realms. Right. And it was originally supposed to be the first of a series of novels, um, oddly enough. But then after I wrote the first one, that's when uh, that's when Wizards went back to the Forgotten Realms, and mm-hmm. so couldn't write any more Core World stories. Um, but it's about uh, it's about this group of people who uh, has to basically stop a. Uh, a a demonic invasion that is that is coming through this uh, um, this city called Cargacool, uh, and so they have to go and first find the seal that that is going to be broken. And along the way, they have all sorts of adventures. And, of course, and, um, as you and, do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a uh, it, it was a, a it's a real classic high fantasy adventure story, you know. And it um, and my my older son, who was one of the first readers of it. Uh, is still mad at me for one of the characters that I killed, <laughs> uh, and uh, which tells me I think that I was doing something right. Uh, yeah, um, I mean and, pathos uh, and ethos. You know, you were able to feel uh, for a character, and then they died. Right. So, and yeah. you you ruined your son's childhood. So, you know, you had yeah. that going for you. I've done my job. 
Um, and uh, and the book ends on kind of a cliffhanger because I thought there was going to be more of them, and <laughs> right. uh, and and now there now there aren't. So uh, so that that was. Uh, I'd still I'd I'd like to. That's another story that I'd like to get back to one of these days, just because I planned it to be bigger than mm-hmm. I got a chance. But you know that's not going to happen. So uh, so I just have to let it be what it is. But I really enjoyed writing in in that space, you know, mm-hmm. um, monsters and magic and everything, and plus. I played so much D and D when I was a kid that it was just a real joy to uh, to be able to kind of contribute. You know, I was, was going to ask be... about that if if you were if that was something that you know you just wanted to kind of try out, or if you came from the base knowledge of playing and loving D and D. Oh yeah, yeah. The first D and D game I played was with the old little parchment books um, that uh, <laughs> and that, that my second, dad second edition or first edition. I think it was the first edition. They wow. came in a white, in a little white box. There was three oh, of them. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and then there was the Greyhawk expansion. I remember that was a big deal when it came out because my, my dad and his friends were playing. D&D. I was little. I was awesome. Seven, and I, you know, looking over the kitchen or the dining room table, trying to see what they're doing. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and then the, and then they started showing me. They let me roll up a character, and and then I started playing. And then AD and D came out, and of course I had every book under the sun, and then and. Uh, I played a lot of D and D until I was a I was a teenager, um, and then I and then I really got away from it and played once in a while. After that, mm-hmm. I still would play. I'd, I'd play now, but uh, the last time I played a game of D and D actually was at Wizards. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was out well, there. Well, of, of all the places to play it, you picked a good spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was cool. Um, have uh, as you might expect some rooms that are that are set aside for people to play in, mm-hmm. and uh, the regular. Forget what night of the week it was. Tuesday night, probably. You know, Tuesday night game that uh, that all the gang there played, and so I was just in there for one night. But it was uh, it was kind of cool to play there. And yeah, I haven't played a game of D and D since. Wow, I gotta play. I play again. I was what am I waiting for? <laughs> the thing with D and D is, no matter where you are, you can always find a game. So, yeah. no excuses. Uh, I would love to to hear you next time we talk. You know about the amazing D and D sessions you have had in the meantime. All right, I'll make it happen. Sounds like a plan. Um, so speaking of kind of like with with your D and D book and how it dealt with some demonic uh, issues, mm-hmm. we will say. Yeah. One of the things that I like when it comes to comics are kind of those, you know, C level heroes or villains, kind of the palookas, the just the the fodder, you know, that is mm-hmm. out there. And you took one of those characters. Uh, this was back during the Marvel Max line, Damian mm-hmm. Hellstorm. Oh yeah. Which, <laughs> I mean, for those people who do not know, you know, Damian Hellstorm, son of Satan. It was a Ghost Rider uh, character, another kind of not even the anti-hero that Ghost Rider was. He was he was more of a legitimate hero, mm-hmm. but just never, just Rodney Dangerfield style, never gets any respect. Uh, so when you took over that title during the Marvel Max uh, series and you did Son of Satan yeah so can you talk a little bit about that because that was such a unique thing that Marvel was doing at that time with the Max line yeah and um, I I think it had a lot to do with the fact that Axel Alonso had just gone over there from Vertigo and Mm -hmm. he uh, and said I think he brought with him some ideas about how Marvel could could uh, do do some of the same things that that DC had been doing with the Vertigo line, um, and so and and uh, that Hellstorm book was the uh, first comic I ever wrote. So it okay, was, uh, yeah, I was, I was I was put in touch with Axel and uh, and we just started yabbing about different things, and that was that was the character that he, we, he mentioned a bunch of different characters, and and uh, and when he said when he said. Damon Hellstrom, I was like, oh yeah. yeah, 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 I got an idea for him, <laughs> and so uh, so then you know I threw this idea at him that uh, that that turned into that Equinox story, um, and it was great. I I really uh, I I'd always wanted to write comics, um, and had never really had any idea how you did that, you know, because <laughs> right. I, um, I was just you know I was just writing books and and writing stories. I knew how to do that, um, and I or I knew you know to have conversations with and, and, and things like that. But comics, I just, it was just a, it was terra incognita. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it helped that 
I was, I, I, was, I was doing a reading for a novel of mine called The Narrows that, that had just come out um, in New York, and somebody there was like, hey, somebody who works for Marvel, you should meet him. And the conversation went from there. Um, and so, yeah, the uh, Max books were fun because I could basically <laughs> do whatever I wanted. Pretty much. Um, and uh, um, so it was a great way to start because, you know, I, I, I guess a lot of people who, uh, who start writing comics do it differently you know they work on their own books they do indie books or and and then they and then they try to move toward a marvel or dc book but um you know i was i, I was lucky i guess that i just would was i was there when uh, the max line was happening and i was there when marvel was starting to reach out and try and bring in writers from they were trying to bring in novelists they were mm-hmm. trying to bring in tv writers and stuff and and um so i started writing some comics there and then uh and i ended up doing a lot more games than comics uh, right yeah you definitely you parlayed that first foray into comic books staying within the comic book world for sure yeah but going into going to the games and uh to kind of i mean with with hellstorm mm-hmm. because i was part of that, that marvel max line and now with all the netflix shows kind of yeah. basically using those max storylines i have to ask you now that they're doing a <laughs> defenders TV show because Hellstorm was was part of the Defenders for like a hot second, you know, in yeah. a few issues. How thrilled would you be to see Hellstorm or even a mention of Hellstorm in the Defenders TV show? Oh, he's one of my favorite characters, and I hope he's in there. Um, and uh, and I hope also, you know, the the uh, the look of 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 Hellstrom in uh, in that book mm-hmm. is is really different than the classic Hellstrom look. I didn't uh. want him to have the, horn, the horned hairdo and stuff like that. Um, so, and so if the, if he showed up in the Netflix show, it'd be cool if he looked like that. Um, that was one of the fun things actually about the Daredevil TV show is that mm-hmm. when I first saw the when I first saw some stills of the Daredevil character with, with uh, his, uh, the, his haircut and the red glasses and and uh, and even the even the shape of the actor's face, he looks a lot like the uh, Daredevil that Tom Coker drew in Daredevil Noir, which I did. Um, right. And so so that was so you know I don't know if the if the people who did the show were reading Daredevil Noir or not but uh I am pretty but, sure the people doing the show read every Daredevil title you would think there. right yeah. <laughs> and, yeah um but uh but that was kind of neat to see you know I mean I'll never know if there's a direct connection or not but uh but I'm going to go ahead and tell myself there was <laughs> as as well you should because I think I, it, I think it would be interesting I mean with these yeah, with with Luke Cage, with Jessica Jones, with Daredevil, with yeah. Iron Fist coming out, and mm-hmm. eventually the the Defenders. Now that they're kind of, you know, really hitting their stride with those Netflix shows, yeah. knowing how Marvel likes to do things and just throwing some Easter eggs, mm-hmm. it would be pretty awesome to see some sort of Hellstorm thing, even if it is just a guy in the background with a, you know, uh, chest tattoo, yeah, that looks like your version, which again. Is way different than the original because the original, oh boy, was it a product of the times. <laughs> yeah, no, he's totally hammer horror film style uh, mm-hmm. character, and and uh, we, and and I love those comics too, you know. So uh, I'm not I'm not trying to say that you know the the look we had was better than the old one. It was a <laughs> right. style of look, I and mean, this was right for our book. Um, but yeah, that would be great to see. And uh, and you know he was a PI for a while, and so I'm sure yeah. in one of those shows they're going to have need for need for a PI. Maybe he's a friend of, of uh, Jessica Jones's. Well, I mean, um, yeah, just like with you know, you can kind of do like the even though the the Constantine TV show did not last yeah. very long, they were able to kind of put him into the CW verse. Right. Know, so you could you could find a way to start kind of planting those seeds. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm all for it. <laughs> Make that happen. And and they might need a writer, so you might want to reach out to Netflix. <laughs> just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe I should. <laughs> so after you after you did Son of Satan, your first comic book work, which again, somebody coming into the comic book business, and your first job writing comics is for Marvel. I mean, you have to have some pedigree kind of going into that. So that in and of itself is, is pretty great that you were able to even take that step in a career that you always kind of you wanted to be a part of did not know it could actually happen <laughs> yeah I, I mean i i didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it because it was just something that i knew people did it but <laughs> right. you know, I, I i didn't know i didn't know how it was done or like i said who to start conversations with or anything like that so then uh then it sort of came along and it was great i felt i, I felt really 
really fortunate, like I said. That, mm-hmm. uh, um, no, but then when those opportun- opportunities come along and you got to grab them. So, uh, For sure. So, now, um, how soon after Son of Satan, you know, Damon Hellstorm was, when did you get involved with like the Avengers Ultimate Alliance video game? Well, so that was, uh, it was a couple of years later. Um, I'd done some, I'd done some other games before. I did ARGs. I worked on, on some of those back, uh, well, the first one before they were called ARGs. Um, <laughs> For those people and, who, who are listening who might not know what ARG? Yeah, alternate reality game. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're games that sort of, uh, that use the real world as part of the, the gaming canvas. And they uh, kind of collapse the boundaries between, um, between what's the game and what's real. Um, there's tons of them out there now, um, but that really wasn't the case when when I started working in them. Um, and that was another case of uh, of somebody that I you know worked with on on the prose side of stuff, um, saying, "Hey, I, I think I'm going to be writing this new interesting thing, and and uh, and you know you want to do it too?" So yeah, okay, let's try that. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, and so uh, so we did those. Um, did, uh, first one was called The Beast. That was for Spielberg's movie AI, and then mm. the next one. Uh, called I Love Bees for Halo 2. Um, <laughs> okay. I had to launch that. Yeah, and so those are neat. And so um, because I'd done those, uh, there's this other game writer who also um, writes some, some short fiction, really good writer. He, he and I had published in some of the same magazines, bumped into each other at a, at a convention or two. Mark Laidlaw um, worked at Valve forever and, hmm. and you know wrote Half-Life and stuff. Um, and he emailed me one day and he said, "Yeah, I had this friend who's looking for somebody to write on this game, and I, and I think it's a Marvel game. So you know, I, you know, you want to talk to the guy?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'll talk to him." <laughs> and so, and and that turned into Avengers Alliance, um, and which I originally thought I was going to be working on for like six months or something like that, and then it turned out to be six years. I was going to say it lasted <laughs> a long time. Yeah, it did um, more longer than anybody thought it was. Uh, and so that was a really cool experience too, because the game changed a lot between when I came onto the project and when it launched, and then even after it launched, it changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it was a real education for me to see how how um, how something as as malleable as a uh, a mobile game, a social game, um, it, it, it changes so fast. When new technologies come along that allowed us to do stuff we couldn't do earlier, um, trying to respond to the dynamics of the player base and and mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, so I, apart from the fact that, that you know I, I got to write uh, you know forty movie scripts worth of uh, of dialogue for hundred and I forget how many characters had dialogue in the game something like one hundred and forty. Um, yeah, it's uh, my master script for that game is pretty long. Um, you know, even apart from that, it was a great education in uh, in how this kind of game works. And again, mm-hmm. to come back to what we were talking about earlier, this, this, how do you tell stories in this space, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, what works and what doesn't and what can you learn from the things that don't work? And, and it was, uh, so it was great. And then I did a couple other Marvel games too. Uh, um, yeah, there was puzzle quest. Yeah. And, and war of heroes. Uh, okay. Collectible card game. That one was fun. Um, and puzzle quest is still going. I just did a doctor strange, uh, uh, mission for them. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Good old Doctor Strange. He's uh, he might be my favorite Marvel character. Interesting. Well, I mean, I mean, the Defenders also tying back to Hellstorm. No, like they they were definitely uh, they yep. they were in the same circles. You could say they did. At one point, actually, I think in I forget which, I forget which storyline it was, but Hellstorm was actually uh, being talked about for being the Sorcerer Supreme. That was the yeah, and the hunt for the Sorcerer Supreme after Strange is declared unworthy after, mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah, before the before the Eye of Agamotto chooses Jericho Drum, it's uh, Strange is one of the guys who's in the running. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, now, with the with those games, which are massive, so yeah. Avengers Ultimate Alliance or Avengers Alliance just kind of finished recently within the past couple months, right? Yeah, last fall. Yeah, last fall. And so Puzzle Quest is still going. And then what was the third one again? War of Heroes. That actually sunset in the spring. Mm. Um, so I did that one for almost four years. And then Avengers Alliance I worked on for six years, and the game was live for four and a half years of that. Jeez. Puzzle Quest is three, three now anyway. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been neat to see the, you know, how these games evolve and change over time. 
And uh, it's been neat to see also how people respond to them. You know, I mean, 75 million people, I think, played Avengers Alliance. Mate. <laughs> um, and uh, so that was, it was pretty cool to be part of it. Well, I think what is so unique about that project is mm. not only were you writing in the Marvel space, you had to write dialogue for all of those characters. You had to get to know all of those characters and think of how they would react to those situations. I cannot That's... imagine that was an easy thing to juggle that many characters. Well, it gets tricky, and and, uh, and it's tricky in different ways. But I mean, it's a fun challenge. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. Was it the Eye of Agamotto who chose Jericho Drum? I don't I want to get my I, When you wrong. said that, I was like, I was trying to think of that also. I could grab my uh, my Doctor Strange book that, that, all, that DK also sent to me, which is awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it is. I should get that. You should. Um, $20 now yeah. on DK.com or Amazon. All right. I'll be right back. <laughs> no, to, uh, to come back to uh, the, the dialogue question, it was you know challenging in different ways because um, I think, I mean, I've written so much Iron Man dialogue that right. uh, after a while, um, you, you know, you want to keep it fresh. I mean, I've, I've, all the stuff in Avengers Alliance, I've written um, 11 novelizations of Marvel movies, and then just, and separately, um, you know, another Iron Man novel, Iron Man comics. And so, um, so that's one character that, I, that I've written so much of that I feel like I know him really well, but then you don't want to just be repeating the same old, um, same old Tony rhythms and Tony mm-hmm. jokes. Uh, that that uh, that are really easy to reach for when you when you've done it so often. Um, so that's one side of it. The other side of it is when you know a new character is introduced that maybe you don't know so well. Um, then uh, you know I go and read comics and try and get a sense of a, a flavor of how that character has been used, um, and then see how I can uh, adapt that and try to bring something new to it um, and and make it mesh in with uh, um, with all the existing stuff in the in the game space that's already created. So different challenges, but all uh, all really fun. You know? I mean, For sure, I, I don't have a bad thing to say about it. It's been great <laughs> with all of those like top tier, you know, Marvel characters that now most people are getting very familiar with. Especially Iron Man. I mean, because he yeah. kind of kicked off the cinematic universe. Yep. What were those kind of you know how I mentioned kind of the the sea level type of yeah. heroes when doing the Marvel Alliance with so many characters. Mm-hmm. What what were those that you kind of wanted to kind of pull at that were the lesser known characters? Um, I have a strange affection for the Omega Sentinel. The Omega um, Sentinel. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why, um, but I like her. Think <laughs> um, of some of the other ones. Um, no, before the Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out, mm-hmm. um, you know, those guys were pretty low profile by and large. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, and uh, I, I've always loved them. Um, and you know, Rocket Raccoon is real fun to write. And <laughs> I mean, how could he not be? I don't know. A lot of the people that I would say have since been in movies, you know. So it's uh, so they're not really that low profile anymore. Like the Warriors Three, Vandral um, and Volstag, they're they're fun to write. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we definitely got to like, see uh, got to see them a little bit in both of the Thor yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lots of them, you know. The, I mean, because one of the great things about Marvel is that uh, is that even those even those minor characters, um, they they have their own lives. They're mm-hmm. they're they're really really individuals, and um, and so there's always something when you go back to the original stories. There's always something you can latch onto and uh, and work with and develop when you're when you're uh, bringing those characters over into a new story space. So uh, I had a blast with that every time. It was great. Awesome. Well, now that we talked about, you know, Marvel and all of your amazing things, you know, with, with that, <laughs> I mean, again, with <clears throat> Avengers Alliance, yeah, I mean, you said, you, as you said, you wrote essentially 40 movie scripts worth of dialogue, which again, in a regular game, that would be compared to, comparable to like, you know, Mass Effect and things like that. Just epic, epic games. This is a mobile game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I'm, I'm not trying to congratulate myself by saying this because it was a whole team that created it and I got to be part of it but uh, it was a it was a really innovative mobile game and and um, as far as story depth and and it being story driven um, and finding a new way to uh, to have the sort of click and swipe dynamic of a mobile game work together with really rich storytelling um, that's something that not too many mobile games do and um, and so I I was glad 
to be uh, to be part of a game that could do that, you know, and and to uh, and, and prove that it could work, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that game people liked it and it, and it made it made a lot of money, and, and so uh, so it seems like as far as a proof of concept goes, I, I think a lot of other people should be doing <laughs> story driven uh, um, Facebook RPGs. Who knows? Yeah. Or mobile RPGs. Mobile RPGs, right? So moving on from the Avengers work mm-hmm. to, as I mentioned, the, this massive tome, the DC Comics I, yes. Encyclopedia. This thing, I talked about it on a previous episode. It weighs probably 10 pounds. It is over 350 pages, just chock full of, again, like like all of the A-list, of course, but the B-list, yep. the C-list, and then in the back you have like the roll call towards like kind of the D-list, you know, characters. Yeah. With how massive this is, and you also did the Vertigo Encyclopedia. Oh, yeah, I love that book. So, with both of these, how much time did you have to dedicate to research? And kind of what were the most challenging parts? Because, again, not all these characters, everybody knows. So, how did you approach that? Well, it was different with the Vertigo book than than with this one. Um, (laughs) I guess I'll start with the Vertigo Encyclopedia uh, sure. because that was still within uh, the DC family. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I got this phone call. You want to write the Vertigo Encyclopedia? I said, Yeah, totally. I like those books. <laughs> and uh, and comics just started showing up on my doorstep. And mm. the, my editor John Morgan, he just sent me everything, <laughs> literally everything. Um, the only stuff he didn't send me was stuff that had never been collected in trade, hmm. or stuff that uh, that. DC didn't actually have any copies of outside the library. Some of the stuff I, I went down to New York and read in the library. And, um, and uh, Karen Berger lent me her copy of, uh, of one of Paul Pope's books because nobody could find one anywhere else. And so that's the one that I used to write the book. Yeah, but, uh, but no, I had boxes and boxes and boxes of vertical books. And a lot of it I'd read before because you know, everybody had read that stuff. But, um, mm-hmm. but then there was... One of the one of the great pleasures of writing that book was running across all these comics that uh, that I hadn't seen before, and now I got a chance to read. And, and um, man, that was great. Um, and Vertigo, I mean, talk about already. talk about a company that has a deep bench that, again, yeah. not many people know about. You know, people listening, if mm-hmm. you, if you have not heard of Vertigo, you probably at least have heard of Sandman. That yep. was that was Vertigo. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah they, and, they have a huge bench. Yeah, there's so many great comics. It just goes on and on, and and um, you know the and I mean I could list them all off, but you already know what they are. And it's uh, <laughs> um, and and so you know what, one of the things that I had to do <laughs> with that book was constantly remind myself as I was reading the comics that I hadn't read before that I had to stop and take notes, you know, because I was <laughs> I was going to have to write about this stuff, right? <laughs> and because I just get swept up and just start turning pages. Um, but yeah, so that book was a real blast to write. Um, I bet. And uh, and then the uh, the DC encyclopedia, um, it was it was uh, research in a different way because um, it was happening. The idea was when it first came along is that it was going to be um, entirely focused on on the New Fifty Two, mm-hmm. and so so most of the characters their entries were only going to be New Fifty Two. The bigger characters were going to have boxes that uh, that incorporated their history, right. you know, their pre Flashpoint history. Um, and, uh, and then right as we were getting it finished up, rebirth happened. And so <laughs> they're like, just kidding. You need to rewrite this entire thing. <laughs> that was, yeah. Uh, and so we then had to go and, uh, and figure out what was going to happen in rebirth because we weren't going to have time to, for a bunch of the books to come out so we could read them and then, and then still get the book out on time and get it mm-hmm. to the printer and everything. Um, so we were trying to figure out to anticipate what was going to happen with some of the rebirth stories, and uh, and you know redo a bunch of the layouts for the for the uh, the higher level characters, the bigger characters, so we could put in boxes about what their rebirth stories would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of a scramble at the end, but in between, I read a whole bunch of comics, and uh, <laughs> and it was great. It was uh, I one of the reasons that I take books like that when they're offered is because it, it gives it's an excuse for me read a bunch of stuff that otherwise I, I would not be able to take the time to read mm-hmm. and I get to call it work which is great and uh, <laughs> exactly I you know <laughs> nobody, nobody can give you crap for being like uh, have no. you been reading comic books for a week uh, make it a month and it is my job yeah 
Yeah, my wife comes home and I'm lying on the couch, you know, buried under comics. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Working, man. Research, yeah. research. I'm busy here. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that DC, it, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, and then it got me thinking about stories that I'd like to write. And, you know, I, I think it probably happens to everybody. I've always wanted to write a Challengers of the Unknown book. Oh, that would be great. I mean, talk about Challengers of the Unknown. I mean, in the 90s, you know, post-Death of Superman, they tried yeah. to bring them in. Like, they brought them in for a couple Superman stories, mm-hmm. went nowhere. <laughs> and then there was that Book of Destiny story that, uh, yeah. uh, and uh, um, I read that book, and then I actually, I, I wrote Mark Wade, and I was like, so are you doing anything else with those guys? Because I'm dying to write the Challengers. He was like, no, they're all yours. If You know, talk to this guy. And so I did, and then... <laughs> I ended up talking to Mike Martz about it, and then he left DC, and so um, that was that. But uh, one of these days, I'd still love to write a challenge with the unknown book. That um, I mean, when you talk about deep cut DC characters, challenges of the <laughs> unknown, I mean, the purple yeah. jumpsuits. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, Th- those go way back. Yeah, and then there was the. I mean, you know, in in the New Fifty Two, there was they did that brief uh, sort of reality TV version of them. Um, that I think it was only I think it was only four or five issues. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably been wiped out by rebirth, and so it would be it would be a clean slate. But yeah, I I could do any DC book, except for maybe Martian Manhunter. Um, it would right. be Challenge, Challengers of the Unknown. That would be the one. Very cool, because that yeah, that was going to be one of my questions that you stole from me. So you know, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Feel bad now. Interview is ruined. Wow. Um, well, one of the things that DC and I, I just I'm a huge DC fanboy. Um. I mean, I grew up with all comics, but DC especially spoke to me. Uh, to mm-hmm. this day, on my pillow, there's a pillowcase under my regular pillowcase that is a Superman pillowcase that I have had since I was like three years old that has been oh, on God. every pillow. So, yeah. That's DC, commitment. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> D- DC means a lot to me. Um, but while you were doing this, a lot of things that people say about DC is the villains are so much more interesting than the heroes. That is kind of mm-hmm. some of the flack that DC gets. In your experience, you know, writing, whether, whether it was an encyclopedia or just in your own love of comics, is there something more challenging about writing an arc for a villain as opposed to a hero? Or is it more satisfying to do that? The one way in which villains are easier to write is that your villain is obviously the bad guy, so you get to have him do a bunch of bad stuff, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting to a reader. But also, the the most interesting villains are not the snidely whiplash types who just want to destroy the world. Just <laughs> right. because. Um, they're the ones who actually think that they have good reasons for doing what they're doing and that they're just the person to do this and here's why it needs to happen. In other words, they're just like you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, and so they, uh, and and so when you can get at that part of a villain, what you basically get to do is eat your cake and have it too, because you can have somebody who has a real inner life that makes perfect sense according to their moral precepts, but then you also get to have this person go out and wreak havoc and destroy the world. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that's why villains are a lot of fun. Um, heroes, because they're constrained in certain ways, you have to you have to find other ways to uh, to make their characters interesting, which mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, which is, I, I think, one reason why I, this has been written about and talked about endlessly. I'm not like inventing anything here, which is why you know they they all have family drama or they're orphans or right. or, or something like that because um, that's a uh, that's a quick shorthand to give them um, some emotional depth that otherwise you would have to take time developing in the story. And um, and villains, you don't necessarily have to do that stuff because you have that conflict between their perception of themselves and the way that the rest of the world sees them. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a great narrative engine to drive them forward. Yeah, I mean, because you take, you know, the most classic and well-known Batman villain, of course, being Joker, this is not yeah. Darkseid. This is not yeah. Doomsday. This is not somebody, you know, like Lex Luthor or Sinestro who wants to take over the world or the universe mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Joker is just crazy, but in his head, yeah. he's like, you know what, I'm doing this because it is fun. I'm doing this because yeah. I want to. And, you know, it yeah. is not, like you said, the Snidely Whiplash, which was a great reference, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was not, you know, that type of villain who has this grandiose thing. It was like, nope, this is just who I am doing what I want to do. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, he's, uh, 
he's at peace with himself. He understands himself, and he and he knows that this is the this is this is just who he is. Um, and you know that could be really interesting. So there's there are there are a lot of villains like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the cosmic ones are a little bit a little bit trickier. Yeah. Um, because you're constantly having to invent non-human rationales that are still intelligible to human beings, mm-hmm. and so and all it, it uh, that that kind of stuff can get a little bit far-fetched sometimes. But uh, but then you know it's a different kind of storytelling, and 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 that's sort of okay. And, and I mean, it's like you know Thanos being in love with death on the Marvel side, right? And it's uh, um, that in one way is a profoundly goofy story, but in another way, it's a really affecting one. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, then you, um, then of course you throw in Deadpool into that love triangle. So I know. <laughs> Deadpool makes everything better, right? <laughs> and uh, he's another one who's fun to write. Oh, I, uh, I, I can only imagine. But like okay. with the with the villain character arcs, mm-hmm. one of the things like I mean, because again with with Rebirth, with Infinite Crisis, with cri- yeah, just everything the DC does to kind of wipe the slate clean every few years, which I understand. You know, it kind of have mm-hmm. to happen. Some of the successes, you know, are characters like Bane, who, mm-hmm. when you and I were reading Nightfall, you know, back in the 90s, mm-hmm. and here was this character who you never really knew that much about, you know, he broke Batman's back, which was this, you know, culminating event. Yeah. But that was kind of it. Like, he was kind of, you would think he would be posed to be, you know, this A-list villain, and he never quite got there, but then when they relaunched, like the new yeah. version of Bane is way more compelling, way more interesting because they yeah. kind of gave it that time to kind of flesh out the story. Yep. Yeah, and you see that um, it, the kind of villains that are suitable for for comic book stories that start, you know, in the in the '60s are different from the '80s, and the '80s are different from the from the from the 2000s, and then you know we see it changing again even now because. Uh, I mean, you know, comics are a mass medium, and so they're sensitive mm-hmm. to how the ta- how the tastes of the mass audience change. And so there's, uh, I mean, you see this in the way that the Joker has been he's been rewritten, and and mm-hmm. and his character his character has been uh, has been rebuilt so many times that you know that 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 quality of him was even written into the character for a while that he didn't even know which of his origin stories were true. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that that's I mean that's that that that's always seemed to me like um like a. Uh, a DC just having a joke with the fans about how uh, you know th- that uh, that this is going to keep changing. You just have to be mm-hmm. at peace with the fact that it's always going to be different, and we're yep. never going to settle on one. And the minute you think you know the truth, we're going to pull the rug out from under you. And that's um, because that's what happens with long form serial storytelling. You know, that's just mm-hmm. how it works. Yeah, and with with the long form storytelling, you and I again go, because we you've been reading comics a little bit longer than I have. I, I will you know I will admit that. Uh, we survived the the early 90s comics, as in when Marvel filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which you tell a kid that now who only knows Iron Man and the Avengers, you're like, there was a time when Marvel was bankrupt. Yep. Yep. They would think you were lying. So we, yeah. we kind of survived that. And then from that, you know, we had Image, you know, Vertigo, you know, like there were some creative mm-hmm. things that came out of that. Do you think that will ever happen again, or do you think this is just just rocketing with no end in sight? I think it will happen again. I mean, everything. Every. I mean, comics have always been a boom and bust thing. Um, I mean, you know, if you look at you look at the history of comics, you know, the first big superhero boom comes along in the 30s, mm-hmm. and after World War II, superhero comics essentially died. Yeah, they, true. They, and and every, everything was westerns and war comics and romance comics, and then horror comics. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, essentially, what brought superhero comics back was he was um, was Frederick Wortham. Seduction of the Innocent, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I mean, I know he went after Batman, but his but his primary target was the horror comics. Mm-hmm. And so, one one of the things that he did, it, despite all the other bad things he did, one of the things that that was an was an inadvertent good consequence of Wortham was that. By forcing comic book publishers to move away from all of the adult and all the all the horror stuff, he created all this new space that they then filled back in with new superhero books. Yeah, and so, uh, um, so and and that I mean, there's a reason why so many of our favorite characters um, date their origins to the late '50s and early '60s, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think um, 
think you know everybody hates on Wortham, and 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 he earned a lot of that. Um, uh, you you but, could say that, yeah. yeah. But uh, but I think he's also a more complex character than comic fans like to think. Um, and uh, and so the the other thing, and so well, so then to uh, to finish this idea out, so superhero comics boom mm-hmm. again. And uh, and then Marvel comes crashing down in the '90s, and 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 everything is in disarray, mm-hmm. and then it booms again, and so we're in the middle of one of these booms now, and because yeah. it's like this now, we think it's always going to be like this, but something is going to come along and, and uh, knock the legs out from under it, and then everything will be different, and and uh, but it'll come back, you know, because right. uh, because at its root, you know, this is the, the these are. Know stories of heroes and villains, and, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the kind of storytelling that uh, that we that people have always done. And there's no reason why they should stop now. Absolutely, I mean, and I I have found myself defending you know comics most of my life, yep. except for the past like eh, five five to seven years when right. you know things are going crazy. But yeah, just like defending it as this is modern mythology, you know, mm-hmm. this is the Zeus. This is the Ares. Granted, those are all in Wonder Woman comics, also, but <laughs> um, but these stories are modern mythology, and they they mm-hmm. should be respected. They should be honored. And yeah, I mean it. It is one of those things where who knows what will happen. You know, the superhero yeah. fatigue. It, it it could happen with two. Four... I think it's already happening. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's um. I mean, it's it's like anything else. Um. The there's. You know, I, I mean, I know people who work in comics and are super excited about all things comical, and, and they're not seeing all the superhero movies now. Right. Um, you know, because they, they're, they, they're, ju- they're just worn out. Um, and that's, and I understand that, you know? There, but what, what I think, yeah, I know, and there's going to be more. And, and so, th- so it's, um, what's happening, I think, is that um, comics suddenly colonize the broader culture, mm-hmm. comic stories. Know, in starting about the turn of the century, and um, and so they were this this huge fresh new thing to people who hadn't been reading comics for a long time, which is most of humanity, right? And so so then uh, so there was this big excitement, and now it's starting to normalize. And so now comics, comic movies, and superhero stories, I think, are going to be just un- they're going to be just another genre of movie out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, just like everything else, and it's going to have its up cycles and its down cycles. And we've been lucky enough to experience that first flush when it was coming yeah. out. And it was brand new, and everybody was in love with it. And people who grew up nerds got to uh, got to experience, you know, this sort of nerd apotheosis when everything was suddenly about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so we all got to like wallow in that for a while. And now it's it's gonna it, now it's gonna die down some. And and, yeah. uh, and the next thing will be something else. Well, it it um, is pretty crazy, up. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it it is pretty crazy to think that on TV you have four DC shows. A fifth one is coming out with DC's Powerless. You have, I mean, yeah. just there is so much media that e- even someone who loves the genre, I get I get behind, and then I have to power through it. And then Netflix yeah, comes yeah. out with a new yeah. show, and it just yeah. it is crazy. But that said, man, what a time to be alive! Considering oh. <laughs> when we were when we were growing up reading these comics, you know, whether seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever it was, can you imagine a time when we were like, ah, another Marvel movie is coming out? Like yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, it too many crazy. Spider-Man movies. I'm not doing it. Right. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's not something you ever would have thought. And so, yeah, it's a great time to uh, to be an adult who used to be a kid who read comics. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I just remember reading Wizard Magazine in the 90s, and they would always have, yeah. like, the fan casting. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, man, that would be great. It took we had those, I mean, we had those conversations when we were kids, too, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you'd sit around with your friends looking at a comic, and I'm like, so if there's a movie, then who's going to be in it? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think, uh, I think I decided that Aaron Gray should really be Wonder Woman after Linda Carter because of the Buck Rogers TV show. I was so in love with her. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that... Talk about deep cut. That was <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and uh, and yeah, we used to do stuff like this all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, and and now, you know, when the movies are actually coming out, of course, the people get cast, and then we all want to gripe about it because it's uh, not because who you pictured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not my iron. 
but uh, of course he was great. So. Yeah, I think I think my number one fan cast, where if I could go back in time, as great as Jack Nicholson was, and I've had this uh, discussion, I will say, yeah. with with my fellow geeks and nerds, as great as Jack Nicholson was, my pick for if I could go back in time and make the Joker, nineteen eighty nine, Tim Burton, it would be Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Because you were coming off of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where he was just uh-huh. crazy. Doc Brown, I mean, yeah, it would be a complete departure. But yeah. when you think about just the 80s, you know, Joker, that yeah. I think Christopher Lloyd would have been amazing. It would have. That would have been fun. would have been fun. I always wanted to see Bruce Campbell play the Riddler. Nice. <laughs> but um, who knows? Maybe that'll happen. Well, they, I remember they, they were talking about Bruce Campbell in the Sam Raimi movies, they, yeah. there were talks at one point of him being Mysterio and all of his, <laughs> all of his different characters in the movies were all part of that. That would yeah. have been awesome. Never happened. That would have been cool. Yeah. And hopefully they would have never um, put a fishbowl on his head like they did in the comics. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's Mysterio. And then, the, and, and, uh, you know, the stories always revolve around it getting broken one way or another and then of he's got to flee. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a Mysterio story. It's its own genre. <laughs> that is very true. Cool. Well, I think that about wraps it up for the awesome stuff that you have worked on. What are what are some things that you're currently working on, or maybe things that are going to be coming out soon? All right. Uh, well, game wise, I'm writing a Walking Dead game right now called Road to Survival, which okay. is fun. Uh, a mobile game. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so that's been fun. Uh, and I am. What else am I doing? Just wrote a novelization of the Power Rangers movie, which is cool. Really? Um, yeah, I, yeah. I am um, real nervous about that movie. <laughs> I, it's going to be fun. I read the script. I can tell you it's going to be fun. Okay. Um, so so go go and enjoy it. In um, fact, go, go it, and enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, ah, terrible, that. terrible joke. <laughs> I'll say it next time. Um, and uh, there's some other things that I, um, that I, can't, I can't announce yet. Um, which I wish I could, but nobody listens. Um, to this. It is fine. And you and I are just having a conversation, <laughs> just two <Yeah>. friends. <laughs> I've heard that one before, right? No, I, uh, no, I want you to keep. Uh, I want you to keep working, so I will not, you know, have you do that. I, I also uh, wrote um, a kids' graphic novel about uh, Michael Collins, the Apollo Eleven astronaut who didn't get to walk on the moon. Right, um, right. He was circling, the cr- circling yeah. the moon at that time. Yep. Um. That comes out in March. It's called The Far Side of the Moon. And ben Bishop drew it. Um, he's a uh, comic artist local here in Portland. Good guy. And uh, it's a pretty cool looking book. I'm working on a full length uh, comic book history of baseball that, uh, that hmm. Speed Press is doing. Tom Coker and C.P. Smith are drawing it. And so it is going to look awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that uh, the words match up to the art. Um, <laughs> and I finished the script. So they're they're digging into the art now, and that's going to come out in early eighteen, I think. Um, awesome. And I'm working on a couple of novels. One of those I hope will come out in eighteen as well. And uh, you know, I'm staying busy. Nice. Well, once once the baseball book is nearer to completion, we'll have to do a follow up episode because I know that you did a lot of research into the Negro League uh, baseball. Yeah. So I I would love to talk about that more. Sure. I'll talk baseball anytime. Nice. Um, cool. And then where can people find you so that they can keep up with all of these crazy projects that you are involved in? Well, uh, I'm on Twitter like everybody else. Alex Irvine. Um, you can say hi to me on Facebook. Um, I have uh, a blog that every once in a while I update. If you, <laughs> if you Google Alex Irvine, I'm the first thing that pops mm-hmm. up. Um, and there's another guy who's a skateboard photographer who's up there too, and they're good photos. You should check his stuff out too, but you should check <laughs> mine out first, right? And and uh, um, so I'm pretty easy to find, and um, I'm always happy to have people uh, shout at me online and say hi. I'll shout back. Fantastic. Well, thank you. I mean, for for taking the time to to be on here and talk about the the awesome work that you are continuing to do and have done in the past. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed the conversation. Great. So for this podcast, uh, you have been listening to About to Review. Uh, You can find it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. I like to keep it simple, just like Alex does. You can find it pretty easily. (laughs) They're called Brand Synergy. 
Uh, you can also <laughs> subscribe and uh, like us on iTunes, on Stitcher, Blueberry, all over the podcast space. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash about review and pitch in a dollar, you can help keep the lights on, which I forgot to do with my on-air sign, which I am now doing. There we go. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Alex, we were not on air this whole time. We will have to redo it again. Okay, let's start over. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Thank you again, Alex. And for this episode, we will see you next time. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter at Vexing Media. <laughs>